Thank you for tuning in to a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron DeMaster. I'm the pastor here. You're in for a one-hour service with a mission to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. Our vision and our hope is to be a church that in Fond du Lac area reaches people who are not typically into church or not connected to a church currently. And we do that by being positive, relevant, and real. So although our style, it might be a bit different than what you're used to or different than other churches in the area, we want you to know we still are true to the Bible. We take God very seriously here, and we want to guide and encourage you every week you're here. This week, we're continuing a newer series or continuing a series that we've been calling Win at Home. And a misconception people can have is being a Christian or a follower of God means you're always going to be losing. There are definitely sacrifices and servant-like attributes one must embrace as a Christian. But if we look at some of the topics addressed in the Bible, we can see there is some God-given direction that is meant to help us succeed and win in certain areas of life. Or more specifically, win at what's home to you and your life. No, I'm not saying like you'll have nothing bad happen to you ever. Just believe in God. Or I'm not saying that you're only going to have amazing relationships if you believe in God. Or you're going to be super rich or have a cush life or always win. I'm not saying any of those things. But God has given us strategy in the Bible to help us navigate particular areas of life that can lead us to having true, purposeful wins that can start today. Which I don't know about you, I'm all for. Winning, it's fun, it's enjoyable, it's positive. And the area we're talking about winning in today that we can see God gives us strategy for and success for is relationships. God gives us clear direction to help us maintain and have great relationships with our family members, whether it's your kids, your spouse, uh, distant relatives. It could be your, your spouse, as I just said, or it could also be with your friends. God's given us direction when it comes to relationships. If you're an Instagram follower or scroller or maybe a Facebook person, it's really easy to assume that God-given strategy in this area maybe isn't that necessary. Everyone on Facebook looks happy, right? If you just scroll, everyone looks happy. There's even these hashtags they're called, or if you don't know what that means, it's essentially a specific folder of all the pictures that are tagged with a specific thing or a specific theme. A folder with a hashtag such as relationship goals or friendship goals or family goals. Pictures look like this, like for relationship goals, like, oh, cute, like they're doing something fun together, or aw, or friendship goals, like, oh, I want friends like that, like everyone looks happy. Or this one, like when it comes to family, like, yay, everyone's high-fiving. That'd just be amazing, right? My family, my wife and I, and even some of my friends, we even use these pictures or these hashtags as inspiration sometimes in how we want to try and make our relationships better. So, like, you know, you see the classic, like, jammies picture. Like, you know, we've tried to do this at home a few times. But realistically, this is more what it looks like. Like, who's got time to, like, actually get matching jammies? Who's got time to actually make everyone smile? It's just not possible. Uh, for Sydney and I, like, you see these relationship goal pictures like this, and then like the reality is more like this, where we tried this one, and I think we got kind of close. Like, not bad. Like, you see these relationship goal ones, or like, I saw this one, and I'm like, man, 
if I had friends like that, like me and a bro on a motorcycle, just fist bumping, but then I had to like realize I only have, I don't have a motorcycle. We have access to a moped and only one moped, so it's me and a dude on a moped fist bumping. Now I'm being a bit silly about these, but usually the photos in these hashtags or with these hashtags, they look fun, they look cute, or a goal like that you'd want to manufacture or at least try to have your family do. To be honest, if you really did look through my social media, you'd see some hopefully super cute pictures. You'd see like a happy family, yay. Like even my extended family, yay. You'd see Sydney and I like kind of being cute together. You'd see me sharing like maybe even an old post that I have of like my friends and I like, oh. And it would be easy for you to see and think, oh, cute life, Aaron. You must have great relationships as you would assume of anyone else when you're looking on their Facebook feed. It might even lead you to think, relationships seem so easy for everyone except me. Is maybe what you're feeling at times. And I say this because I think we've all been there. We've all felt like relationships are hard. None of us are alone to thinking that relationships are, are just going to be this cakewalk. Relationships are hard. Because you want to know what I don't post a picture of or don't have a picture of or really anyone else posts a picture of is the time my parents and I we didn't want to talk to each other for days because we each had our own opinion on how to handle a family matter. The time my girls, my little girls at home, were straight up crying nonstop, and I was not winning the Dad of the Year award at that time. There were the times Sydney and I, we had to literally distract our mind uh, by, going, by going out to the, a store or a restaurant because if we sat at home and spent too much time together, we'd literally start arguing about the same things over and over again. There were times that I felt so alone that I didn't have a friend in mind that I could call. These are all real situations that I don't have pictures of, but wow, they were real to me. And they can still occur today. Conflict, tension, frustration, it's common in relationships. It's inevitable. We will 100% of the time deal with it. But how do we actually talk about how to resolve conflict and, and how do we keep a relationship thriving is something that it seems we don't talk about enough. I don't know about you, but although I can make it look like I'm winning in relationships all the time, it is just not the case, which makes me both feel the need and the desire for a winning strategy from God in how to keep my relationships great and how to resolve tension. Can you relate to that desire or feeling? Can you relate to having both positive moments with some of those areas, but also ones that aren't so great when it comes to relationships? Can you relate to having relationships that struggle? Can you relate to wanting God-given direction to having a winning relationship, maybe with your spouse, friends, or family members? Throughout this whole series, what we've been doing is we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, which is basically just a really long way, or a really interesting way of saying a really, really long sermon by Jesus. Uh, it's probably the most famous sermon he does, but it is really long. And it's in Matthew 5 through 7. And he gives us a ton of direction, a ton of guidance and strategy on how to live in many areas of life. And relationships is one area in particular that Jesus addresses multiple times. If you've been here for the last couple of weeks, what you maybe noticed, and maybe you didn't notice, but you will see this week, is in Jesus' sermon, he covers a lot of seemingly random things, but his goal isn't to just teach a bunch of new commands and tactics to keep the law, but he's giving us principles 
strategies of how to live lovingly with others in obedience to what God has wanted from us since the beginning. And these principles are stated in ways that we can use today, even though it was from a sermon thousands of years ago. And again, relationships is the one where we see this concept shine in Jesus' sermon. To get us started on the Sermon on the Mount and just kind of looking at what Jesus says about relationships, how he opens up this sermon is actually he starts saying who is blessed, who's right, who's holy of, of amongst people. And it starts in Matthew 5, 3 through 10. I just point out a few things for you. He says, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, uh, blessed are the merciful. And then it continues on. It says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Now I see these things and I think like, okay, he says poor, those who mourn, the meek, those are blessed people. And I think, okay, that, that's great when I'm in that situation, God. Thank you. I, I, I'm excited to know that you're going to be there with me when I'm in that situation. I get you, Jesus. Thanks. But then if I really study that list, blessed are merciful? Blessed are the peacemakers? Ugh! stink. I am not a good peacemaker, and I am not great at mercy, especially in relationships. And those are the ones who are holy? I don't know about you, but I got work to do. Merciful is defined as this, like it says, showing or exercising mercy. And some of the similar words, if you're not sure what that means, is forgiving, gracious, lenient. Are you those things? And then, like peacemaker, it's defined as this, a person who brings about peace, especially by reconciling adversaries. Someone who tries to bring peace, make peace amongst each other. Are you a peacemaker? There's a lot of things that don't fit with showing mercy and being a peacemaker. Things like grudges, revenge, being a pot stirrer, anger. I don't know about you, but I am tempted to do those things many times without even knowing I'm doing them. I do all of these things in my relationships. I hold grudges. Like, I simply and purposely try to be a jerk sometimes because I'm like, I'm going to get back at you. I hold a little bit of a grudge. I seek revenge because it truly does feel sweet sometimes. It does. You did this to me, so I'm going to do this to you and I'm going to make you pay. I like to stir the pot, or in my wife's family, we call it poking the bear. I like poking the bear because it's fun. It's kind of fun to see people get a little heated. And tensions rise, and all of a sudden it's tension on me. I get angry. I say all these things not to glorify them, but to point out how counter they are to what Jesus wants us to do. Jesus actually, he really starts getting fiery about relationships or people who do these things in relationships. Check it out. It's, again, Sermon on the Mount. This is where it continues. It says, You have heard that our ancestors were told, You must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. You might be like, Meh, easy. I'm not murdering anybody here. We're not going that extreme. We're like, come on now. But see what he says next. If you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Rats, right? If I'm angry, call someone an idiot, curse someone out, I'm being ungodly in my relationships. I don't know about you, but I've done all of those things and still struggle to wanting to do those things weekly, if not daily. 
even though I know cursing at someone or name-calling or, or being angry, it doesn't do anything good for my relationships, yet I still want to do it. Jesus is specifically saying, this is not how your relationship should be. He doesn't tolerate people who live without mercy and people who do not try to make peace in their unreconciled relationships. Again, Jesus wants us to be merciful and to be a peacemaker. If we are to bring that into our relationships, such as our friendships, our marriages, our family relationships, especially in times of tension, I think there are some major changes I think a lot of us need to make, myself included. And I'm sure you might be like, all right, everybody needs to be more peaceful, Aaron. Everybody should show more mercy. Like, you might be thinking, like, that's, that's a pa- what a pastor says. Pastor's t- supposed to tell you, be, be more peaceful, show more mercy. But how do you actually do that? How do we actually become more peaceful? How do we actually show more mercy? Which I think the sermon that Jesus gives actually addresses three specific ways and practical examples that you can do to start showing more mercy and being more peaceful. That I'm guessing a lot of us are not doing currently. And I'm guessing also a lot of us won't want to do either. But I want to tell you this. Hang in there. Hang in there because this could be the ticket for winning relationships for you. The first one that we can see in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus addresses is you need to check yourself. Check yourself first. Matthew 7 uh, verse 3 is where it starts. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Before you start nitpicking or calling your friend out or slamming your spouse for something that they did or said, beating down your family or just letting yourself be mad at them, worry about you first. Check yourself first. Whether you or the other person are to blame for the situation, God wants us to analyze our own life first. Me and my wife, um, we've resolved so much over the years, it seems. Like, we've been married six years, six years. So we've been married six years of our marriage, but for seasons at times, we have literally bickered about some of the same things for seasons at times. And then hopefully move on, but there's been some things that have been reoccurring. An unclean house. I really want a clean house. Sydney doesn't really care. Lack of communication on small purchases. Like, I thought we had it clear, but apparently not. Sometimes we get arguments about it. Clothes on the floor. I can't stand it. I can't stand clothes on the floor. These maybe seem silly, but it's true. These are true arguments we have. There's actually a video that I think describes exactly what goes on in our household and kind of the tension we have, especially when it comes to clothes. Check it out. Hey, babe. Hey, babe. What the heck is this? What the heck is what? This, your dirty laundry next to the hamper. That's not dirty laundry. Then put it away. Oh, well, it's not clean laundry either. Then put it in the hamper. But I might wear it later. Then put it in your drawers. See, I can't put it in my drawers because it gets those clothes dirty, and I can't put it in the hamper because then they will be dirty. So I just put them in the sweet spot. The sweet spot. The spot right next to the hamper. See, any clothes that you might wear again, you put in the sweet spot. Anything that's in the sweet spot for more than two days then goes into the hamper. It's sort of like laundry purgatory. What about the clothes in the bathroom on the floor? Are those in purgatory too? Pray for them. (laughs) Does anybody else have a sweet spot in their house? Our sweet spot has continued to grow and grow and grow. 
my wife and I, we fight about where the clothes that are sort of dirty should go. We're both guilty to actually leaving them in places. We both do it. But I'm the one who actually gets kind of ticked about it. Like, what are these doing here? These need to go somewhere. Well, instead of me blowing up, what if I assessed what I could do? What if I tried to create a solution? What if I focus on what I could do and how I'm contributing to the problem? What if I spent time trying to think of a new way to kind of deal with our laundry and our current laundry situation? This actually happened, by the way. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If this is a problem in your household, colored baskets, different colored baskets for different types of laundry. It's working in our household. Just want to give you some tips if you're struggling with that. But I get this is kind of an awkward example. But what if that's part of resolving tension, frustration, anger? Whether you're the offender or the offended, you look at your own log in your own eye about the situation. You assess that maybe you contributed or didn't contribute to the conflict. For example, what this maybe looks like for you is maybe you have tension in a family relationship because you feel you just never talk anymore. You're mad about that. That person never calls you. But when you start analyzing yourself, you realize you also call less than you have in the past. Maybe for you, you're, you're frustrated about a relationship because someone said some hurtful things to you. But in analyzing, you've realized you've allowed those statements to be said for years. And that's kind of how your relationship has been built. And for change to happen, it's going to take time. Maybe for you, you were expecting this apology for something big that happened in your family. But in your analyzing and, real, and in your realization, you, you started to realize that neither of you ever apologize about anything ever. So why would it start now? I'm not saying any of these situations are right. But what I'm pointing at is, is God wants us to reflect on what we have maybe done first. And then after that, address it with the other person. What do you need to do to check the log in your own eye of your relationship before coming to conclusions and theories on what the other person needs to do? One part of this passage that we're looking at that we just like, kind of studied for a second there, uh, I've never noticed this before, but it kind of brought some clarity to me. It's the end, and it says this. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It says you will clearly be able to see how to remove it from your brothers after you've done all those things. If I'm not seeing clearly how to help another see and move on and have the relationship be right again, I probably should keep addressing myself. I should probably keep working on the log in my own eye. Again, where do you maybe need to pause in some of the revenge-filled tension that you maybe are experiencing in a relationship and check yourself? Because the second thing Jesus wants from us when it comes to relationships and resolving things is you need to go to the person and make amends. You could be the offended. You could be the offender. You could be the one who caused the tension. You could be the one who had it happen to you. But to actively be the peacemaker, to be merciful, Jesus tells his followers they must be the one trying to make the relationship better, not worse. I don't know about you, but this is not my natural state when it comes to relationships. Early on, like, it was, you mess with me, you're going to get the payback, all right? You, you curse at me, I'm going to get you better and bigger. Uh, I remember so clearly, it was in high school, uh, just hanging out with, like, a bunch of my bros, 
And like, you know, like the towels came out and you're just, whoosh, whoosh, they're snapping towels around. And one of my friends, my close friend, got me and I was ticked. I was ticked. And instead of like just kind of like getting the towel out, I just took my hand and just slapped. I gave him a five star right on his back. That's what you did in high school, I guess. Uh, but instead of me like trying to like let it be, I made it worse. My friend was ticked, and we, we avoided each other for a long time. In that situation, if I'm not actively thinking peace, I'm more concerned about the small win of revenge instead of the big win of the relationship being right. I get this is a minor example, right? But the principle is the same. You have a person who maybe lied to you. Will you lie back and keep it going, or will it end? You have the person who, who stole a client. Will you steal two now, or will it end? You have a person who did wrong against you, so now you get a chance to do wrong against them. You had that person who share, shared a secret about you, and now you're going to dump all their dirty laundry out on them. You have a person who, who was ignorant and hurt you, so now you want to make them pay. In these situations, if you're like me, you know you can win the little game of revenge. You know you can win it. But the win God directs us towards and his desire for us isn't the little win. It's in having the relationship reconciled. That's the win. That's the big win. It's pursuing peace, attempting to keep the peace between you and that other person. Romans 12, 18, it says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This verse says, as far as it depends on you, your effort, your extension, your attempt, you get a chance to choose to be a peacemaker and merciful with all and attempt to make amends with the offender or as the offended. Are you doing that? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus explains actually how important this is to him uh, for us to reconcile relationships. And he actually does it in a very unique way. And I'm going to explain it to you in a second here. But before I show you the scripture where he explains this, there's a little cultural context you need to know about what was going on back then. Before Jesus' time, God's people, what they would do is they would present offerings or sacrifices or they'd bring things to the temple to give to God. It could be like an incense, it could be money, it could be an aroma or an animal, but they would give these gifts to honor God. But they would do it at this one main temple. So that meant like some people had to travel quite a few miles. It meant some people would have to travel maybe for days at a time. It meant that it was a giant time commitment for people. It meant it was something you had to carve out of your day to make happen, to give this gift, to give this offering to God. Well, Jesus says this. Again, this is Sermon on the Mount. It says, so if you are presenting a sacrifice or gift at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. You see what this is saying? After all that prior work and stuff you did beforehand, it's all in motion. Jesus says, if you realize you've wronged someone while you're doing that, go take care of that first and then come back and give your offering. That's crazy, right? Jesus is saying it's more important for us to reconcile things with each other than to do religious acts. 
Not because Jesus wants us to put human relationships before him, but because one of the greatest ways we can show love to God is by forgiving and seeking forgiveness from others. Ye, right? Jesus is saying, don't just show up to church, don't just pray a little bit, serve a little bit, give a little bit, but make sure your relationships with others is right. How does that sit with you? When you think about your friendships, your family, your relationships, your relationship with your spouse, are you seeking to be reconciled with a person maybe that you have hurt? Are you seeking to be merciful to the person who maybe hurt you? Are you prioritizing the urgency and necessity to address it? Jesus' strategy to win in relationships for his followers is you are to be the one pursuing peace, whether you're the offender or the offended. You are either to seek mercy or create peace. What that maybe looks like for you today is you being the offended one, maybe saying, I want to move on from this. I want to move on from this. What can we do about it? Maybe you need to say to the person, I forgive you and simply want to start over. Maybe it's, I don't want a relationship to just be about this one thing. Maybe you say, what if, we, what if we make some changes and we find something we can agree on to maintain the relationship? If you're the offender, apologize. Own it. Not just like half owning it. It's so easy for us to be like, I think I sort of offended you. I think I kind of hurt you. I'm sort of sorry. It actually made me, as I was thinking about this, it made me think of the show Friends. Is anybody like a Friends fan? Okay, okay, realistically, two people. Who likes Friends? Who's seen Friends? Okay, okay, good. Um, <laughs> but there's a scene where Ross and Joey, uh, they're, they're mad at each other, and it'll make sense when you watch it in a second here, but you can see how he kind of half owns his mistake. Check it out. Talk about this. Uh, actually, uh, we don't. Fine, okay, fine. But I gotta say, technically, I didn't even do anything wrong. What? You, you didn't do anything wrong? I, I said I didn't technically. <laughs> okay, well, let's put aside the fact that you accidentally picked up my grandmother's ring and you accidentally proposed to Rachel. Well, can I just stop you right there for a second? When people do this, I don't really know what that means. <laughs> you were saying? And I could even understand that you couldn't tell Rachel. But why couldn't you tell me? Huh? You had all day to, and you didn't. I know. I should have. I'm sorry. It's not just a I'm sorry situation, right? But if you're really trying to make amends with someone you hurt, a real sincere apology is necessary. It's important that it comes out as, here's how I've sinned against you or wronged you. Will you forgive me? Instead of a less specific thing like, I think I've hurt you. Sorry. If you honestly aren't sure what you did, maybe is a possibility too, ask them. Ask them maybe how you've wronged them and really listen without interrupting, without interjecting, right? Especially if you want to make amends. There's a popular quote that stirs in my mind when I think about pursuing peace and maintaining relationships. It's from Brene Brown, and it's, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. The statement means to be clear in what you are feeling, maybe what you felt and what you're expecting or what you expected, by being real and truthful about where you are at with something. Clear. It's kind because you're telling them what you expect and what you want 
without making them guess, trying to guess like how to make it right. You're being clear about it. Clear is kind. Unclear is unkind. When you give people the real truth, the real truth of the fact that you urgently want to find a place of peace, you are being clear about what your intention is. To win at home, in our relationships, Jesus wants his followers to do the part of peacemaking with others when tensions run hot. Are you doing that? To be real with you, this is honestly extremely hard for me, like as a, a person to embrace, is I, I love avoiding conflict. Avoiding it is great. Like, I want to be real and raw with you, and like, so I've really tried to think of some things that like, we've wrestled with, like my wife and I, and then my family. So here's like some examples that we've had to get, kind of get through. For Sydney, uh, we had to really be real about like the frustration of things of how we navigated family time during the holidays. Like what was expected and not, and what was too much and not, and be clear about it. We also had to talk about cleanliness in the house. Again, you heard me, I, I like a clean house, and figuring out like what is, what's the expectation of that, being clear about it. We had to talk about uh, how much we spend on certain things, having clarity about that. Issues I had with friends would, would have been like, how much bad-mouthing I, I honestly would allow or could take about like my faith or about like what I was doing, and I... I just there was a line, and we had to be clear about like what that line was with my friends, or an issue with a family member would have been like, was I was was were they maybe expecting too much from me? Was I maybe expecting too much from them? And trying to be clear about what that expectation was, or maybe even as something as silly as, did you borrow this thing of mine? You haven't returned it yet, and just being clear about things. Ideally, I just want the conflicts to just disappear, to be forgotten, to just go poof, right? We had tension, poof, gone, magically fixed. But that's not how reality works, right? How I've had to approach it is if I want to win in relationships with my bride, I must bring it up or I know it just gets worse and it becomes an ongoing fight if we don't talk about it then and there. With my family members, we're going to have to address it or they will always be disappointed when we decide to leave because the expectation was never clarified. With my friends, we try to work it out and see, like, is this relationship going somewhere that we both want it to go in and determining if that's good or not? Being clear about it. When it comes to conflict, I'm not just going to avoid it or assume bad things or, about them or let it sit or be the victim or badmouth them, but I'm going to actively go to them and address it. And then when it's all said and done, Jesus promises to do one last thing. Give a little more. Give a little more. When you think you've taken enough or you've wiped out on the relationship of trying to reconcile it, you've you got to give a little more. Matthew 7 is where he kind of explains this. It says this. Again, this is Sermon on the Mount still. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus, Jesus is saying, if you want to win in your relationships, the way God has intended you to, don't expect our standard of justice and fairness in relationships to make it right. You might have to take the short end of the stick sometimes as a Christian. Obviously, Jesus doesn't want us to literally take abuse, whether it is verbal or physical or sexual. 
you absolutely need to do what is safe to you and right for you and your family in that situation. But if you're experiencing conflict, frustration, tension, Jesus is giving example of how to show you what you might need to do and be the one who, who maybe sacrifices a little more, who maybe offers a little bit more, who maybe gives a little more than the other person. I know that doesn't sound like winning in the moment, but the winning in the long run of the relationship being maintained is what Jesus is striving for. Keeping the relationship is the win. So for you, how can you realistically give a little more? Is it as the offended, giving your spouse another chance and try to have them make it up to you in some capacity? Give them guidelines. Give them guidance to achieve what you are expecting. Again, clear is kind. Unclear is unkind. They won't be perfect, right? But there's room for you to give them a little more. Is it maybe giving a friend another chance to try and make things right between you and them? Let them try to have the conversation with you and be merciful in helping them get through the conversation. We all know how hard that is. Is it giving your family members a little more trust, a little bit another try to try and earn back your trust? Help them succeed in that by rekindling the relationship with you and by giving them maybe a small win and helping just get momentum in that relationship. Maybe you're the offender. How do you make that better? With your spouse, maybe, maybe be ready to give more. Go to them. Ask them what needs to be done to make it right. And then give a little more. With a friend, go to them and apologize. And then find a, a way to give a little more. Maybe it's through coffee or lunch. With your family, go to them and try to make up with them. And then find a way to reboot the relationship on their playing field. And by giving a little more. The expectation from God for his followers is more. Are you willing to be more peaceful and more merciful with others? Like I said in the beginning, these aren't things you're going to love doing. They aren't going to feel like wins in the moment, but they are going to help you win by keeping the relationship which is God's desire. As I close today, what do you need to work on today to be more merciful and to be a better peacemaker? Do you need to address the speck in your own eye? Do you need to go to the person no matter what they've done? Or do you need to maybe give a little more? I'm going to pray that we do one this week so that we can have a winning relationship using a strategy that God has clearly given us. But before I do that, I, I want to say there's probably a few people here who maybe have never realized that all these things that Jesus is teaching about are actually the same things that Jesus has done for us in attempting to maintain the relationship with us. We as humans, we offended God by doing things against his wishes. It's just what we do. But God sent Jesus, his son, to try and make the relationship right between us by taking the penalty for our mistakes so that we can have a winning relationship with him. And he beats death, and he says we too can beat death and live a life full the way God intended when we're connected to him and have this permanent relationship with God that starts today and goes on forever. And that relationship is one that gives guidance, not just in relationships, but in guidance and direction for all of life. If you've never embraced that before or said, like, God, I, I want that. I want that guidance in all areas. I want you to guide my life. All it takes is you saying in your head and your heart, God, I want to follow you. I trust in who you are. Would you guide my life? And you're on your journey of being a Christian. So whether that's the step you want to take today or maybe it's a step in helping making your relationships better, I'm going to pray and ask for God 
to rekindle whatever relationship is that we're pursuing. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. God, some of us right now are saying for the first time, we, we love the fact that you have done a ton of amazing things to try and rekindle the relationship with us. And God, for the first time, some of us are saying we want to follow you. We want your guidance in all areas of life. Not just relationships, but guide us in, in, in more. Help us know truly how you want us to live so that we can continue to follow you and, and win. And win in relationships and win at home. And then, God, some of us are saying right now, we, we really want to work on some particular things in our relationships. And God, we just pray that you have us take that next step, whatever that is, the, uh, looking at it, the speck in our own eye, whether it's ac- actively addressing something that we know we need to address, or whether it's just trying to, to navigate that peace and, and being more merciful. I just pray that, God, you have us take that step, whatever it is that you want us to do this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.